Have you ever watched those uh, preachers uh, on TV that talk about if you just have enough faith, then um, your problems will go away? And uh, they always re- followed up with just give some money to this ministry, and uh, you'll see your faith grow as an outward sign of your faith. Um, I've watched these shows, and, and sometimes I do it, um, I don't know, it's just a love-hate thing. I, 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 I'm, it's, it's like a moth to flame. I, I don't want to watch it, but I can't help watching the absurdity of, of some of this. Um, and, and I'm always frustrated, I always get angry and watching these shows, because they, they propose that uh, if, if things are happening bad in your life, then that's because you don't have enough faith. Just, just believe a little bit more, and uh, you'll find good comes your way. I always wear white suits and stuff like that, you know? <laughs> well, you know, I want to talk about what does it really mean to have faith uh, as from Hebrews chapter 11. And, and Hebrews chapter 11 is probably one of the uh, most treasured chapters in the Bible for many believers. Um, it is, it is a, a encouraging chapter. Um, I want to follow through, and we're going to look through a, a listing of several examples. And, and the author of Hebrews 11 is, is winning his argument by sheer quantity of examples. In fact, you find that he doesn't go in detail with each of the examples as much as you'd like him to do, because that's not his point. His point isn't to go through the details as as much as to just list out time after time after time people who exhibited faith, what it looks like. And the whole point is to teach us what does faith look like to encourage in that day and time Jewish believers who were having all kinds of reasons not to follow Christ uh, and being persecuted uh, challenged in their faith, uh, their property taken from them, stolen from them, people placed in prison, uh, in some cases death, uh, and, and days to come soon after this was written, they would face uh, incredible challenges as Rome would come in and destroy Jerusalem and untold uh, horrors would be done among Jews all over that city. Uh, and so this is written to them and it, is, it still speaks to us today for us to follow Christ in a society that says, you know, that's absurd. Why do such things like that? Um, and so what I want to do, uh, we looked at this last week, and I feel like I, I probably need to remind you of some of the points of last week of what faith looks like, uh, that faith begins with a, a holy discontent uh, that, that's implied that you don't like how life is now, that you understand that there's more to it. I, I was visiting uh, one of our uh, attenders this past week and uh, was in the hospital and uh, he, he, he prayed to, to follow Christ and to make him God his Savior and to trust in him. And, and before that, he was just sharing. He said, you know, it was just a few weeks ago I was talking with my wife. Uh, and we were just pondering. And I was just saying, you know, is this really all that life is? Because if, if this is all there is to it, I've done it. I've done it. I can't think of many more things that I want to do. Um, and then, you know, last week he, he thought he was going to die. Uh, and he got woken up a little bit. Uh, and so that's the holy discontent that, that is built upon, that, that faith is, is implying there. And then we talked about in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 through 6, how, how faith uh, is, is seeing the unseen, is, is believing in the not yet, hoping in the not yet, is to, uh, to let the invisible 
take over the visible, to let it color. You remember how we talked about that? That letting the invisible color the visible world. Now, here's the one thing you need to know. That the invisible, the unseen, the not yet, is the kingdom of God. It is Jesus. Uh, and so we're looking to see Jesus make himself real in our life, the not yet. We're looking at him uh, taking control. He is already in control, but now we see that he's in control over the visible world. And we're giving him permission to color our life. In the visible, the invisible coloring the visible. And so it's, it's to look at life, what are situation that we're in, to say, you know, how am I demonstrating that I have hope in the not yet? How am I demonstrating that I believe in what can be seen? And how do I, am I letting the unseen, the invisible color the visible? How am I letting Jesus, God, who is spirit, control and influence my life, even though no one can see him? And so... The author gives us now several examples of people who do exactly that. We looked at a few of them last week. We looked at Abel. We looked at Enoch. Uh, we looked at Noah. And we saw how Abel, in his faith, was murdered. <laughs> and so it just lets us know right off the bat that faith in God does not equal um, long life. does not equal prosperity. Uh, in fact, it could mean uh, murder for the sake of your faith. And, and God. And then we looked at Enoch, who by his faith uh, avoided death altogether, uh, was evaded, evaded death, and how he's taken up. And then we looked at Noah, who in his faith was saved from death that all the other, the rest of the world faced. So one man dies, Enoch, or Abel, then Enoch, he doesn't die, and then Noah, his family lives, but all the world dies. And so it has this, this theme around death and how faith, the, the lesson there is that faith is what leads us into death, leads us past death, leads us through death. And a lot of us get a hold of that because we can't do much about death anyway. But it's amazing how we will trust in God for the eternal life, but we do not have faith in God for the day. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, okay, God's going to take us to heaven, but I, he's not going to lead me through tomorrow. And this is where we struggle. And so what we're going to see here now are, are folks who live the days. It's not just the death, but it is their days of faith. And, and listen, we cannot separate saving faith from living faith. All right? In other words, we want to say, okay, I have faith one time in my life and I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord. Bam, that's over with. But now we live our life and we think this is a separate faith of trusting in God in my day to day. It is the same faith that you trust in for God to save you from your sins. It is the same faith, it is the same God that you're trusting for God to save you through this day. And so we can't separate it. And so I just want to give you um, three, three actions of faith as, that is uh, listed and, and uh, you see repeated in verses 8 through 31. And so let's, uh, let's read this together, uh, looking at verse 8, starting with verse 1. And in honor of God's word, let's stand as we read this together. We've got a little bit to go here. You can handle this, I think, uh, as we read it. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, 
since he considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having a knowledge that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For who people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland? And if they had been thinking of that land for which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son. Of him it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeing pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. You may be seated. We see that there's somewhat of a grouping. We have the patriarchs uh, and they're living in exile. And then you have uh, the further... Uh, works of, of Moses and how God worked through Moses. And then you go, you just follow the Jewish history going into the promised land. And in each one of these cases, uh, you see a, a theme, an action brought out. Uh, and I just want to give you three of these. And there's so much here. I, I encourage you just to study this and think through these thoughts because there's so much to apply to your day today. Uh, but the first thought I want to bring to you is in what faith looks like is that faith prevails in an inward struggle of desires. Faith prevails in an inward struggle of desires. You'll note that in each of these characteristics, there's enough mention here for you to get the idea that this was not necessarily an easy thing for them to do. That there were um, conflicting desires going on, but when it was all said and done, the people of faith, they became people of faith because the faith over uh, one out and the struggle of inward desires. You do know that to be a man or woman of faith does not mean that you're exempt from struggle. There will be moments and times when you will fight and wonder, is this really what I ought to be doing because everyone else is doing something different? There'll be moments and times when you're asking yourself, did I really understand God correctly? You need to know that that is not unusual. In fact... If you are not experiencing that, if you are not thinking through those things, it's probably because you're not stepping on faith. It's probably because you're not living in faith in some aspect. 
because there's no conflicting desires there. Uh, but let's, let's look at this. Uh, first we see, I'm just going to kind of go through each one of these cases. I want to just bring out the inward desire, the struggle of desires. Uh, we've got first Abraham uh, called out to go to place. And notice the emphasis at the end of verse 8. He went out not knowing where he was going. <laughs> Do you see any conflict of desires in that? Okay, you see how it's brought out? That's unusual. Most folks don't go unless they know where. Because how else do you know how to go? But here, God is saying, I am your roadmap, and I'm not going to give you something tangible to trust in. You're just going to have to trust in me. That is uh, filled with conflicting desires. But notice, he continues on, living in tents, Verse 10, looking forward to the city that was foundations, whose designer and builder is God. We'll look at that in a little bit. Notice verse 11. Sarah. Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age. Women, can you sense conflicting desires? I mean, how would you like to go tell your husband um, when, when he's 90, you're 80, it's time to build a crib? And I, I think we, we're absorbed with the thought of her having a baby at 80. But have you ever thought about having a one-year-old at 81? Getting up in the middle of the night? I mean, she may be doing that anyway, uh, being 81. But it may work out well. <laughs> you know, but 82, and you got a two-year-old. 83, you know, and they have all kinds of energy. We forget about that miracle. But, uh, you know, there's conflicting desires in the midst of this. Uh, Verse 12, it brings out Abraham. Therefore, for one man, (laughs) and him as good as dead. (laughs) That's pretty tough now. You know, if the Bible, how, (laughs) I was telling my wife, like, you know, I'm going to start calling folks, you're just as good as dead. (laughs) I don't think we would react well to that. Um, But, you know, she's past the age, and he's well past the age, and, and God is saying, you know, you're about to die. That's God saying that. Uh, not, not me, not some whippersnapper. That's God saying that. You're about as good as dead. And, and so here he is in the midst of this, yet there were born descendants. There's conflicting desires that's going on when Abraham is thinking, you know what, I'm an old man. I'm, almost, I'm as good as dead. But yet God does this work. And then we keep on reading uh, that uh, in verse 14 that he's they're seeking these men are seeking a homeland they're not going back to Ur where he is from verse 16 there is a desire for a better country that is a heavenly one notice the desire that's the thought that's going on faith is a desire it is you remember how it is born out of a, a holy discontent and in the midst of it there grows a desire for something better as as Hebrews 10 39 says a better and abiding hope something that they've got there's a desire for these things and this desire for god starts to overwhelm the desires for other things so they're seeking a homeland verse 15 they had every opportunity to return but they did not verse 16 you see it again the desire a better country therefore god is not ashamed to be called their god i paused when i heard that therefore god is not ashamed to be called their god And I'm thinking through, now who is he talking about? He's talking about Abraham. He's talking about Isaac. He's talking about Jacob. You remember when we studied this? It wasn't that long ago, for those of you who've been with us about over a year or so, when we studied about Jacob. I guess it was longer than that. Jacob 
was not a model of morality. You remember that? I mean, he's got favoritism going on. He's, he's, he's sliding his wives. He's got more than one wife. There's idolatry going on in the camps here and there. Um, and yet God refers back to Isaac and Jacob and Abraham and said, I'm not ashamed to be their God. What did Jacob do? What did Isaac do? What did Abraham do to merit this declaration from God? I would present to you it's not some high, high moral achievement that they did. What does the Bible say? Verse 16, they desired a better country that is a heavenly one. And then, therefore, God is not ashamed to, be called, ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared them a city, for them a city. What was it that Jacob, Abraham, and Isaac did? They desired God. They desired God. You know what that tells me? I could be a polygamist. I could have favoritism. There could be idols in the camp here and there. My sons could commit genocide and wipe out a city. I could have one of my sons mess around with one of my wives. I could have one of my sons almost killed and sold by the brothers. This is my home. <laughs> and somehow, someway, God says, I'm not ashamed to be their God. Because through that, Jacob learned to desire God more than anything. His life is filled with all kinds of mistakes and problems and errors. But through his life, he started realizing, I've got a better desire. I no longer desire the, the Rachels and the Leahs. I no longer desire the livestocks around me. I no longer desire these things, but I desire now God. Isn't that amazing? It's not the moral achievements of your life, but it is when somewhere along the way you realize, I desire God. I want God more than anything else. You see, what God is wanting is not your moral achievements. He is not wanting your reputation. God wants your heart. Is there any wonder when Jesus was walking on this earth, he said, watch out for money. Watch out for money because he can steal your heart. Don't lay up your treasures on earth. Lay your treasures up in heaven because where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. Jesus is saying, God wants your heart. And that's the very thing we have the hardest thing given. And we will sacrifice here and sacrifice there and we'll say, God, won't you be pleased with my sacrifices? And God says, no, because your heart is far from me. We're not saved by your sacrifices. We're not saved by your religion. You're not saved by these things. You're saved by the grace of God and you desiring Him. That is a reaction. That doesn't, that's not a work that's something to be proud of, that you desire God. It's like, should you be proud of being hungry? It is the desire that God gives in our life. It's nothing to be proud of. It's just the state of the fact We've seen something. There's a holy discontent, and we desire something more. Now, let me ask you this. What would God say about you? Would God say, I'm not ashamed to be their God? Now, what's the opposite of that? I mean, God, the opposite would be, God, I'm ashamed of, of being their God. 
The thing is, God doesn't do shame. So what does he say? I don't do shame, so I'm just not their God. Do you understand the option here? Either he's not ashamed to be your God or he's not your God. <laughs> Which means either you desire God <laughs> more than anything else or he is not your God. Do you sense the weight of that? We want so much to be a middle ground. And scripture just does not give it. So, God is not ashamed to be their God. There, there's struggling desires, but the faith, the, one, the man or woman of faith has faith prevailing in the inward struggle of desires. So, Abraham says, that, yeah, I'm a sojourner. I want to bring to you Genesis 23, verse 4. He says, I am a sojourner and foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place that I may bury my dead out of my sight. Genesis 47, 9, Jacob says to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of life. My father, the days of their sojourning. Sojourning, I'm traveling through. David himself had the same attitude in Psalm 39, verse 12. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Hold not your peace at my tears, for I am a sojourner with you, a guest like all my fathers do you understand that you are a guest here even in your own house you are a guest and if you have no house if you have nothing but a tent to live in you're a guest there too philippians 3 20 paul says but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await the savior the lord jesus christ First Peter chapter 2, verse 11, Paul, Peter says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which war against your soul. Don't take up the idols of this land because this isn't your land. You see, we belong somewhere else. I, you know, I, I've had the opportunity to travel to different, a few places and there's some very enjoyable things in, in, in the places I've been and, and the sights that I've seen and some good food. But there's never been a place where I said, hey, Julie, why don't you take the next plane over here? We're going to live here. This is, they've got better food, they've got better water, they've got better everything, better air. This is our home. There is a desire to be back with the family, to be back with her. But here on this land, this earth, we are very much likely to say this land is our home. These treasures are our treasures. Their values is our values. Let's call this home. And we fear leaving it. We fear leaving it. Let me ask you, how do you, how do you stop the influence of a past relationship? Have you ever been, you know, before you're married, you had those relationships between boys and girls, you know, and, and uh, you get into this dating relationship and you break up, and your heart's broken. It's good practice for divorce, really. Um, Another problem with dating, but 
you know, and so then you're, you're living life, and you're, you're, you know, it's like you're always wondering what this person is doing. What are they doing now, you know? You don't, you know, they have, they have influence over you still, don't they? I mean, they call you up, and you're, you're answering the phone right as soon as you can. You know, you're responding to them as soon as you can. How do you break the influence of a past relationship? It's when that other guy comes in or that other girl comes in and they grab your heart. Like, oh, I forgot all about them. And they have lost influence. Let me ask you, how do you lose influence of this world? How do you lose influence of this world? How can you stop your heart beating to the drumbeat of our society? It is by knowing and seeing a more beautiful object of our affections. It is by learning and seeing more of God. It is by seeking God, by seeking Him, seeking His city, His heaven, His place, His values, His kingdom, that this world stops having its allure. And one of the sad realities is that when we are in a state, when we struggle with giving up some of the values of this world, it is because we're not seeking him we're not seeking him and so we keep on reading and we'll see these these desires throughout by verse 17 by faith abraham when he was struck when he was tested notice that word testing that implies a struggle what was the struggle about well he offered up isaac and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son the struggle was this is my only son and god has asked me to sacrifice him that's does it make sense? And there is a struggle going on. <laughs> you see, perhaps the command or call of God you hear just now is, is to stay married or to stay single or to stay in the job or leave the job or to get baptized or, or to speak uh, up at work about, about Christ or to, to refuse some compromise of, of standard of honesty. Maybe it's to confront a person in sin. Maybe it's to venture into some new vacation. Maybe it's to be a missionary and to, to leave this land. Maybe it's, as you see it in your limited mind, the prospect of doing this is just terrible. It's like the loss of Isaac. It's like, it's like raising your knife over your son. You've considered every human angle. And you think it's impossible that it could turn out well. But you've got to learn to see with the not yet and the invisible. And so, verse 19, he considered that God was able, able even to raise him from the dead. Verse 20, by faith, Isaac evoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. He didn't like Jacob, but yet he ended up giving future blessings. And when the opportunity came to give a blessing to Esau and trump over Isaac's, he did not, he could not, because he believed that God was doing something in the future. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and he choosing to bless the younger over the older, which was against human wisdom of that time. By faith, Joseph, the end of his life, made mention of the, outward, uh, of, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites in giving directions concerning his bones. He said, you know, I'm going to die, but you're going to leave this land. And in that time, Egypt was the place to be. Everything else was not. And he's saying, there'll be a day in time when you leave and you get out. And I believe it, and I hope in it. Take my bones with you. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months, for three months of his parents because they saw the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. 
We find this story in Exodus chapter 2, verse 1 and 4. Pharaoh said, I want to kill all the Jewish males, and if anyone protects them, they will be guilty of the law. So when they say, we're going to hide our son, what's the conflicting desire? Well, self-preservation is one of them. But they're not afraid of the king's edict. And so if we die, we die, but our son will be, will be preserved. Now, is that faith to hide your son in a basket? I mean, if, if, if they really believe God, then why don't they just walk around carrying the baby and, and, and fawning in the face of Pharaoh? Isn't that faith? No, that's stupid. Okay? There is holy wisdom. I'm sorry, I can't use the word. I'm sorry. Some things are, though. Okay? Um, there is holy wisdom where you trust in God, but you know of reasonable precautions to take, and you do them. And so they hide Moses in a basket. By faith, Moses, when he's grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now notice the, the inner struggle here. Choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Now Egypt is at one of its pinnacles of power and riches. And yet, in the midst of this, Moses says, ah, you know, that's nice having this, uh, I don't know if they had cool air somehow figured out back then. or You know, that would be a, a, a struggle. Uh, but you've got the nice bed, you've got the wealth, you've got the servants, you've got, you've got the trappings of royalty. The self-serving aspect, he says, you know what, there's a part of me that wants to keep that, but there's another part that says it's not worth it. I give it up. Why? Verse 26, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he's looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king. So when he went against the king, it was before Pharaoh ever gave some edict and saying, you better get out of here. It is in the midst of that, he, see, he goes against the authority of Pharaoh and he goes against and speaks and, and works against an Egyptian. In fact, kills an Egyptian. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood. Where's the inward struggle there? Well, see, the, the sprinkling of the blood was to preserve the firstborn son. What if that was your... That was your diagnosis. That was your treatment. The doctor said, okay, your son's going to die. Here's what I want you to do. I want to take some, some blood and put it on the doorpost. Isn't there part of you that says, that isn't making sense. There's the inward struggle. But he says, you know what? The authority of God, the command of God is better than what my mind is saying. And so we have, again... They're, they're crossing the Red Sea. By faith, people crossed out the Red Sea. What's the inward struggle? He says, I want you to walk into the water, and you're going to go through, and the, and the water's going to part for you. you. Can you sense the inward struggle in that? Just walk in the water, and it's going to part, and you're, and you're going to be okay. Yeah, there's a pharaoh army. They're, they're, they want to kill you. They're right on your heels, but it's okay. You see the inward struggle? To say, I believe in God, not what my reason says. By faith... Verse 30, the walls of Jericho fell down after they'd been circled in seven days. Where's the inward struggle in that? <laughs> well, here's the new guy, Joshua, coming up and says, okay, here's the battle plan. You got the flutes? You got the shofar? Good, grab them. What about the swords? No, you don't need them. Okay. All right, what are we going to do? We're going to beat them over the head with the shofar? No. You, you just walk around the, the, the walls. Okay, day one, day two, 
okay, Josh, what's the plan? I'm not, I know I'm a new guy, but, you know, I, I, I think some things work there. Let's do it again. <laughs> For seven days. Seventh day. Um, all right, now, when we go around seven times, blow the trumpets. Let's watch what happens. All right, you see the inward struggle there? Reason says, that's absurd. But Joshua says, I'm hearing God's direction. I'm hearing the voice of God in this. Verse 31, by faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because he had given friendly welcome to the spies. Where's the inward desires? Hey, you know what? I believe that you are going to come in and you're going to wipe out my city. I want to be a part of you. All right, let's think about that. What if some Al-Qaeda folks come in and and, uh, we we say, you know what? I think you're going to wipe out our country. Um, I want to line up with, with you and your God. Do you see the tension that's there? Not to mention that they're not worshiping their God. But neither were the people of Jericho worshiping the God of the Israelites. There's tension involved in this. But listen, faith prevails in an inward struggle of desires. There is a voice within you that says, do you believe in God? I remember one of the, there's been several episodes when this just has occurred to me. Uh, I remember in my late 20s, I had a physical issue that came, and, and um, it, it required me to say, I'm going to go to the doctor, and I'm going to get a physical. And up to that point, that was just crazy for me to do, because I, I, I try my best to stay away from physicals and doctors. Um, I don't see a lot of good things coming from that at that point in time. Uh, but nonetheless, that's, I thought, you know, and I went to the doctor and said, well, yeah, you need a colonoscopy. I'm a 28 I don't want anything to do with a colonoscopy. And I think, well, why? I start reading up why. So, you know, one of the possibilities is colon cancer. You ever talk about fear? Many of you have been through this. You think, well, you know, that's, I've, I've got two young kids. You know, this just. And there was a panic. There was a panic that occurred. I'm sitting there trying to keep it together. And somewhere along the way, just a thought comes to my mind. Do I believe God or not? Do I believe him or not? There will be an inward struggle of desires, but somewhere along the way, the question is, what do you believe about God? And do you believe it or not, or is it just a charade? If you believe it, then follow the implications that come with it. Now, listen, what else does faith do? What does it look like? Faith expresses in an outward sign of movement. Faith expresses an outward sign of movement. There will be something done differently because of faith. This is the whole point of James chapter 2 that he's bringing out. Faith without works is dead. Faith is not just an inward sense of, okay, God is in charge. But there will be a logical consistency with that. If God is in charge, that means I will do something differently. Now, this is going to flow out. In a multitude of ways. Let's look and see how it flowed out in the Bible. Well, first of all, for Abraham, you see in verse 8, what did it look like for him? He was moving. He was packing up the tent. It it was moving. Verse 9, what did it look like for him? It was living in the tent. Can I buy some land somewhere? Can I build a house? No, for him it was living in a tent. Verse 11, for Sarah, it was to believe that God could produce a child and it was to wake up at three in the morning with a one-year-old and to follow a two-year-old around and picking up all the stuff. 
that was what it looked like for her. And then we keep on going down. We see that we get down to verse 17. What did it look like for Abraham? It looked like, hey, we're going to take a hike, son, and I'm going to kill you. I'm going to lift up my knife and raise it over you. That's what faith looked like. As we keep on reading, we see in verse 20, for Isaac, what, what did faith look? It was to say, I'm going to give you a blessing, Jacob, and I'm going to give you a blessing, Esau. Esau, you're going to serve the younger. I believe in this because I believe that God is at work. What did it look like for Jacob? For Jacob, faith looked like a blessing to his own sons of what God would be doing with them. For Joseph, it was to set out his final will and testament to say, look, hey, here's what faith looks like for me. Don't leave my bones in Egypt. You're going somewhere else. I believe it. But for Moses, what did it look like for his parents? For the parents, faith looked like hiding their baby in a basket and putting them down the, water, down the river and saying, okay, God, let's see what you do. For Moses, it was for somewhere along his life as he realized what, what was in front of him, who God was and who the people was in front of him to say, you know what, I'm going to align myself with God and if it means I forfeit the royal uh, treats, then so be it. I am not living for this land. And so he gives up his riches. For Moses, faith looked like I'm going to leave this land because this land, this country is not my own. For Moses, it was to say, we're going to keep the Passover because we're going to believe that God is going to work in the not yet. And there's an invisible force that is at work called God and he is going to triumph over the visible. And so we believe this and we'll express it by putting blood on our doorposts and keeping that. For the people of Israel, what did faith look like? It meant to walk into the Red Sea with an army going against them and say, God, I hope you open up the doors for us. What did it look like for, for Joshua and Jericho? Faith looked like marching. It looked like a marching band. What did it look like for Rahab? For Rahab, it looked like a scarlet thread hanging out of her doorpost, out of her window. You see, faith ultimately will be spelled out in the details. It's Rahab saying, oh, do I have any scarlet thread around here? Let me throw it over the window. That's her job for the day. That was on her agenda. It was faith expressed. Listen. When you have faith, it will come out in your daily calendar. When you have faith, it will express itself in your, in your personal finances. When you have faith, it will uh, be revealed in how you live and where you live and what you do with all that God has entrusted for a little while. Faith has outward signs of, of movement. Listen, for some of us, what does faith look like? Faith looks like God. I have to say that you would be ashamed to be my God, therefore you're not my God, because I don't desire you. Faith in an outward movement may be to say, to confess before God, God, forgive me. It may be to come clean, to tell God, to tell someone else, God, I, I, need, you, I need you to save me. And he's like, well, I don't want to do that because that's embarrassing. Well, what's the problem with that? Well, the problem's with your pride. What's the problem with your pride? The problem is that you don't believe God. You don't believe that God's method is the way for life and that your method is best, so pride holds on to it. 
at the heart of sin is unbelief. Now listen, faith perseveres in continued obedience. Faith perseveres in continued obedience. It's, it's not just that one step, that outward expression, but it's a lifestyle of continuing on, saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk with God. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to believe in God. I'm going to live from God's perspective, and it's going to continue. It's not going to stop in my life. And notice verse 9. <laughs> he kept living in tents. Abraham did. Isaac did. Jacob did. He kept living with tents, looking forward to the city that has foundations. What who's designer, builder, and God. What is it that allows you to keep persevering in things where, where society says, that's crazy, that's nuts, you don't do this. It is to have in your heart, in your mind, a vision of God revealed through the word of God, to know his characteristics. What was it that kept Jacob, kept Isaac pitching a tent? It was to say, you know, God's got a city. He's designed it and he's built it. And it's waiting for those who hold on to him. I will not put my treasures here on this earth. Listen, where are your treasures? Where are your heart? Are you seeking God? What's the perseverance? Notice verse 13. These all died in faith. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they died in faith. Not having received the things promised. They lived their life holding on to what God was going to do. And never seeing the full realization. You know what? That's perseverance. Why? Because they had the vision of God before them. It was the driving, compelling, the not yet that was compelling them in the present day. They were believing that the visible God, or the invisible God was coloring the visible world around them. And it didn't stop when death came. They got a taste of it. They got a taste of it. But they didn't see the fulfillment of it. You know, having seen them and greeted them from afar. And having knowledge that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. It, it, I have this vision when I read this. Greeting them from afar. Ever seen someone? You've had a, a separation from someone you love. And there's a reunion coming. And you see them driving up the road, you see their car, or maybe you see them walking out of the airplane gate, you see them coming up to your drive, you see that person, they're greeting you from afar, and your heart is already there, your heart's already there, yeah, there's things going around you, there's, there's, there's you know, people trying to talk to you or something, but your heart's out there, waiting for them to come, that's the image that you see here having seen them and greeted them from afar. What? The promises of God. Seeing a taste here and there, but realizing there's something in the horizon that we're going to look toward, and we're going to die with our eyes looking that way, looking ultimately to the Messiah coming. Therefore, they were strangers and exiles on the earth. What made them strangers and exiles on the earth? Their heart wasn't here. Their heart were not here. They were seeking, there's verse 14, they were seeking a homeland. Verse 16, they desire a better country. You see, what was behind all of this perseverance to say that even though it, it hasn't been fulfilled, I will die looking to this end. It was to say that I have got sights of a God that's so much better. So here's your choice. You can fulfill your desires here on this earth. It might happen, it may not could very well happen. Or, you can live on this side 
where you die and your desires are never quite fulfilled here on this earth. Why on earth would we choose this way? Why would we choose to live life with our desires unfulfilled? Because the object of the desires is so much better that even if we're just hoping for it, it is better life than this method where you've got all the desires of your heart, but you were never made for these things. You were never made for these things. So when we read these testimonies, we understand, okay, struggle's normal. I've got struggle in my life, but I'm going to see that faith is going to prevail. Because I'm seeking God, I'm seeing God, I'm seeing the characteristics of him. And I'm going to have an outward show of this. I'm not just going to learn the lingo, I'm not just going to uh, intellectually think these through, through these things. But somewhere along the way, there is a change of life, there's confession, there's something going on that shows that I believe these things. And I'm going to persevere in this way because I'm going to keep seeking God. <laughs> Let me just share with you, where, where does this end, you, end you up? In Hebrews 12, I, I just want to skip ahead just for a second. In Hebrews 12, just look over there. We'll, we'll talk about this. And it says, therefore, since we're so cr- surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, he's not talking about people who have died before you, your loved ones that are in heaven watching you. He's referring to all the people he's just mentioned. These great witnesses I've just been talking about. Look at their examples then let us lay aside every weight. That which hinders your walk with God. It may not be a sin, but it robs your affections of God. Let's, let us lay aside these weights and the sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. What is he saying? Look to Jesus. Let the vision of God be in your heart. Let this grow a greater desire than the desires for the things around you. Notice who Jesus, what he did for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despised the shame, and seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He says, continue on, don't be weary, continue in your walk, continue in your faith. In other words, you've heard all these things before you. These people, what they did, the actions they did, now it's our turn. Now it's our turn in our generation. What will be the things that identify our, our life as actions of faith? Is there anything in your life? Is there anything in your life? that demonstrates that you trust God more than this world? Is there anything in your life that shows and expresses that you desire Him more than the things of this world? Is there anything that God says, I am not ashamed to be their God? Simply, do you desire God? Do you desire God? You see, when we get to the end of our life, what we thought was all that our life was about, we'll find, as C.S. Lewis describes, as just chapter, as the cover and title page. At the end of this life, it's just a cover and a title page. And when our heart stops beating here, we'll realize, okay, here begins chapter one of the great story, which no one on this earth has read. And which goes on forever. And in which every chapter is better than the one before. (laughs) And we realize, wow, looking back on this life, it's just a, a title page, a cover page. But what would that title page and cover say in your relationship with God? So... 
there's a temptation to look at all these characters and think, man, man, they, I wish I was like Abraham. I wish I was like Isaac. I wish I was like Jacob and Joshua. And, do, and I could do all these things. I, could, I wish I was like Rahab and, and, and have that type of faith. Here's the thing. Faith doesn't glorify the one who has faith. Faith glorifies the object of faith. This is a great way of understanding it. If I said to you, you know what, I'm, I'm going to be leaving for a couple weeks. Um, there's, you know, I'm, I'm going to be gone two or three weeks, and, and um, I don't have one concern about my wife, about what she'll be doing, about who she's with. I, I just, I don't have any concern whatsoever that she's going to be with other men or something like that. Now, would you come up to me and say, well, you must have great faith. No. I'm not glorifying myself and my faith. I said, no, I just have a great wife. I don't have to worry about that. Faith glorifies the object of your faith. So when God says, I want your heart, I want you to trust me, it's not such a great thing to have faith. It's that we have a great Savior who demands such faith. And so I just challenge you. Live your life. Seek God. Seek Christ. Have a vision of his character, of who he is, and see how more beautiful it is than the values and things of this world. And let that be the overcoming desire in your life. And let it flow out in outward actions. And let it continue and perseverance, because you always cannot get past who Jesus is. Be besotten with Jesus. That's it. Let's pray.